guys, welcome back to episode 66 of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. To get instant access to almost 20 hours of world-class online video strength and conditioning information, go to upmentorship.com and help support the show. This episode's guest is James Fitzgerald of OPEX, formerly OPT. James has over 20 years of experience and service as a strength coach, technician, tireless practice in refining the energy system work, nutritional and lifestyle balancing techniques. James was also the first man to win the first CrossFit Games back in 2007. On this show, James and I discussed many topics, including James's training philosophy, James's thoughts on program design, the OPEX cert, James's advice to everyone listening, which I think all you guys really like, I know I did, and many more topics throughout the show. It was a really great interview, guys, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Coach James Fitzgerald, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast. Just for the listeners who mightn't be too familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your background. Uh, I'm a strength coach, a strength coach, personal trainer at heart. I've been uh, uh, coaching since uh, the middle 90s, I guess, um, if people remember that period of time. Um, so close to 20 years now, I've been uh, doing some kind of personal training or coaching. Um, came out of university setting of uh, physical education and uh, kinesiology. And uh, right after that, discovered that I wanted to get into uh, the training profession and become a coach. So I moved to Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I went to university in, in St. John's, uh, Newfoundland. Um, moved to Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And developed... Uh, um, personal training and strength conditioning um, name for myself there with Optimum Performance Training. Um, and while I was up there, started partaking in CrossFit as my own personal sport um, and uh, grew a couple of CrossFits and a successful personal training system and then um, just saw the virtual world of uh, coaching people worldwide, coach, coaching coaches with a specific system that we have for a certification program and then... Um, coaching people online allowed me to uh, sell the businesses that were established up there and move uh, to a warmer climate. So we moved to Scottsdale, Arizona uh, almost four years ago now, and uh, we've been down here uh, pretty much focusing on the, the medium of just fitness, fitness testing and fitness assessment in a, a lab setting that we have here on site of their on-site training program. And we coach uh, our, our business called OPEC. We coach uh, hundreds of people worldwide, virtually uh, online. We have uh, over a thousand coaches that have done our uh, coaching certification program uh, as of right now. Uh, yeah. What got you into CrossFit? What, what What was it that attracted you to CrossFit? Yeah, I had a. Uh, well, it was kind of um, just as uh, as for any coaches out there, who kind of know you want to play with everything, you know. So I dabbled with. Um, uh, you know, Westside method for a number of years, and I did Poliquin stuff uh, for a number of years, and I did uh, dabbled in bodybuilding, you know, just my own version of bodybuilding, not competition style, um, with changes in diets and strength conditioning profiles. I played around with, um, you know, uh, let's call it concurrent methods of training, you know, competing for the toughest Calgary and Alive in these mixed events. I ran lots. Um, so it was the same kind of idea. I had a client who... Uh, was in fighting, and uh, he went to uh, the west coast of the USA and came back and said, hey, there's a number of these guys are trying this thing down there. Uh, you should check it out. It's called CrossFit. It's late 2004, 
And uh, so I dabbled with it myself a little bit and, um, you know, just started playing with these concepts or ideas that it's, it was, obviously it was like a brand new version of, of fitness. You know, number one, it was at the time, uh, you know, just mental because uh, we went against all the principles that, you know, would be uh, appropriate for strength and conditioning. Um, but I was open-minded to say, you know, I just want to play with it. So I dabbled with it and started and started seeing it as a just a whole different version to to open up the world of uh, metabolic conditioning and also uh, energy system training is the way I saw it um, because I always saw exercise in the medium as being uh, multiple just multiple creative methods to to create power and um, I didn't get caught up in the garbage behind politics on kipping or Olympic weights moving quickly at time or anything. I just saw it as like different ver- interesting versions of work. So I got into it and, and uh, honestly fell in love with it personally for myself because it challenged my fitness levels and uh, made me try to realize some things in terms of threshold training in that middle shitty zone. Um, and I saw some really cool improvements on it um, based upon differences of what I did not see in previous training programs, and then started playing with uh, hundreds and hundreds of clients that I had uh, with different kinds of energy system training and discovered that it's for some and certain kinds of protocols are good for others, and I just, uh, uh, you know, used it as a great tool going forward then, like all, like all the coaches, you use what's effective and throw away what's not. Um, yeah, and so I competed myself in it and had some success and, and therefore have also uh, uh, coached a number of other people that have some success in the sport up to today as well. Uh, you're you're being slightly modest there because for the listeners that don't know, James was the the very first CrossFit champion in the in the male category back in two thousand seven. So you set the you set the, the tone. It, it's it's crazy though how the standards have risen in just eight years with regards to the the competition. Yeah, um, I mean, I appreciate the the point on that. I mean, I don't uh, I don't hide from the fact that I am definitely very proud of the fact that I did. Uh, uh, compete and win that first year. It's not anything that I'm. I definitely have regrets over or um, hold any differences against because mm. I am very proud of that. But yeah, the just in your mention of the talent, the talent after that year, you know, forward. I, I believe that probably 2008 was of my probably my most successful year. Although the the participants were probably four or five times the amount. The competition was higher. Mm. I definitely felt more proud of how I finished that year because. Um, Again, I was like 33 years old at the time, so I was getting to the top end peak of my training uh, age, and uh, I had shown some great improvements from the year before to that year. Although the talent pool got higher, and uh, I was just you know another guy amongst a bunch of other really good people, uh, but I felt better about that. Um, and then it just escalated even more. 2009 and 2010, where I competed at the games as well, you could just see the differences in. Uh, in the talent pool and uh, it kind of makes sense it was a you know underground kind of idea and then people got word of it became popular and mainstream and then of course you're going to get numbers of people who are innately more talented and have all the things in place to do that um and you combine that with a little bit of good hard work and uh, you're going to have a ton of talented people which you see today doing it yeah, I was just uh, watching on Flow Elite the two-part video series with you, and it was you know very very interesting. It was funny when you said like your first exposure to CrossFit, you were you were I, I don't know it was the Fran you were doing, but you were saying you couldn't front rack the bar, so you had to do it off your back, and you were saying that your back was bleeding, and you went to a wedding that weekend that it was going through the shirt. So I just thought that was very very funny. So yeah, like I mean, coming from a strength conditioning background, a front 
squat push press was only what you saw maybe on Bill Star manual or you know an old school uh, iron mind you know idea or something you know um, yeah, yeah. and then to you know my question on on the page that day was that I couldn't do a thruster in the front rack I actually could not hold the bar up there based on my flexibility so again it just it started that journey on like this whole different version of how to do fitness so yeah I, uh, I instead did it from the back rack and and uh, smashed my neck up pretty good who would you say have been the biggest influence on you both as a coach and as a person uh, as a person uh, or sorry I guess I guess as, as a coach uh, my, my clients are generally the biggest influence for me as a coach um, I've learned so much from my clients um, you know there's been definitely numerous people along along the way that are mentors and uh, that some people that have passed you know like uh, Mel Sith, um, but also uh, people that are still alive today that may not have known that they've had a significant influence but just because they're teachings or they've been an advocate for doing things slightly differently um, you know and based upon my age you know the Charles Staley's the um, the more de Pasquale um, Charles Poliquin um, Louis Simmons um, Ian King uh, Paul check um, there's been you know even um, guys that went through the circuit years ago Berstegan and and uh, uh, Berardi, and you know, there's been numerous functional medicine doctors too, Alan Gabby and John Wright. Um, you know, there's been numerous people that I guess have influenced, I guess, the kind of way that I see principles today that helped me become a coach. But the number one group is definitely my clients because they allow me to pretty much, in, in the right kind of words, uh, use them as guinea pigs to discover exactly how each of us are going to improve our potential, both as a coach and a client. And then sharing those stories with good communication practices, I think, has just really made me recognize, become more aware of what human potential is and also the various differences between humans. And I really appreciate that. As far as a, per as far as a person, um, you know, I, I owe a lot of that to myself. I put, my, I put myself in a lot of uncomfortable positions um, to grow as a person. And uh, I've been consistently maturing, you know, every year. Um, even as a 41-year-old now coming up, you know, I, I thought I was at a mature level or consistently thought I knew a lot of stuff when I was 22 and 28 and 32 and 36 and 39 and 41. And I keep going back to appreciating, you know, how I've been open-minded to keep learning. Um, and so uh, for myself, my own personal journey, I take a lot of that on myself. Uh, one of major factors, people, you know, no one may know, but uh, Bernie Novakowski, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago, he was a lead uh, uh, person definitely in my life for um, systematic thinking and uh, and being a, a, you know, just just a life mentor for me uh, for as a person. And um, I think you know I guess my wife too has been a, a huge advocate for me personally uh, based upon that. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of people along the way that yeah, certainly I, had some I interviewed Greg Everett yesterday. I asked him that question, and he's similar to you in that. He kind of, you know, paused for a second, and he kind of said that, you know, he kind of felt that he did a lot of work on himself too, and that, and I kind of said, you know, similar to myself too, that you know, I very much feel I'm a very self-reliant individual. Not saying that there's definitely other individuals that help, because I mean, life is essentially an ecosystem, so you can't just be on yourself. But definitely, like, I kind of agreed with Greg too that you know, I put a lot of work into myself, similar to yourself. So it's, 
you know because usually most people are like oh it's my dad or my mother which of course it is for a lot of people but it's kind of interesting yeah. to hear a, a different sort of perspective you know yeah i guess it's, uh yeah it's a it's an interesting conversation which i'm, I'm sure could get uh, quite philosophical and exhausting but it's a uh, it's an interesting it's a it's a real interesting point because uh i think sometimes as coaches that's important because we initially go through that struggle ourselves to try to figure out who we are because what really drives us is to trying to figure out how we can improve people's innate potential. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think that that really, you know, starts with who you are as a person and trying to allow yourself to go through that struggle to be a mentor also for people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, I, I suppose I can't really say that it is unique to sort of strength and condition or fitness industry because I haven't really dabbled in like other industries like engineering or, you yeah. know, whatever. So, but it does seem to be, it feels unique to the kind of fitness industry, training industry that it's so much more, there's such more of a deeper kind of meaning to it all. Like, you know, everyone's in the gym lifting, but like there's definitely, definitely more of a life process to it than just, you know, doing sets and reps for the sake of sets and reps. It is really kind of making a person a better person. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, we could go down uh, so many roads on that, on the kind of struggles that you deal with when you get into physical potential. I mean, it's it, for us, speaking to you and me, it's a very masculine, um, you know, uh, vision. You know, it's very mission-oriented and highly systematic and, you know, sometimes black and white and very numbers-driven and logical-driven where that, you know, it's basically in a masculine sense when we get into the gym and do those training sessions and teach people about it we're experiencing but we're also pushing people to that real sense of freedom which is you know right on the edge of like you know pushing your physical limitations and uh, i think that's a real that's a real big um eye-opener for people because they start to recognize that that kind of suffering in practice you know when it comes down to then doing anything in real life it just makes everything so much easier you know yeah yeah um just moving on, what what would you say, in your opinion, are the biggest problems you see within the training profession? Uh, I think it's probably due to my filters, um, just basically where I'm sitting. But uh, I just see, uh, you know, quality assurance in what's considered, you know, good training practices and who teaches that. Uh, I guess because, you know, I'm at the, uh, I'm not at the forefront, but I definitely have a good pulse on you know, who's out there um, calling themselves a coach or a trainer. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, Rob, we could probably spend hours just on this topic by itself, but there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of iterations that have got us to this point, and I don't even know where to start. So the kind of idea I think where we should spend our energy is, like, thinking about ways how to fix it. And uh, I'm going about that, you know, and trying to propose, you know, a certain kind of model that's affordable for people who want to become a professional coach. Um, and that doesn't come without practice. So I think one of the major issues with coaching today is, you know, my wife and I just had that conversation last night with an athlete that she was in town and uh, she made mention to my wife that she was like, you know, it seems like a number of the athletes, how they survive is around here. They go around to gyms and they just coach at different gyms. And if you just think about that, that you know, it just makes no sense um, that, that you know, people are just coming into town and they're tre- and they're living a life as an athlete, but for part time, they're just coaching at a gym, um, and mainly a CrossFit gym. But they're just coaching at a gym, and they're perceived as a coach simply because they've you know done a few sets and reps and maybe sweat more than another person. And uh, I just think that in in terms of consumer and across the board, 
there's no real fine line or any definition in terms of who is a coach and who is a fitness instructor and a volunteer. Mm. And uh, I think that it's, it's causing just this rape and pillage of the fitness industry um, where, you know, the fanciest pants and the nicest, uh, um, you know, Facebook posts are getting people recognition in terms of how to run health and, health and fitness or strength and conditioning facilities where, uh, you know, years ago, even 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it was about results, you know, and consumers understood that it was a results-based system. Um, and so it's very, it's, it's lengthy, man. It's lengthy. Yeah, but I do, I agree with the sort of thought process that instead of kind of sitting down and saying, this is wrong, that's wrong, better off sitting down saying, well, this, here, here's a solution and here's, here's what I can do to contribute to that solution. You know, it's a, I'm listening to a, seven habits of highly effective people and I've, I've listened to the book loads of times but just re-listening through it there again like you know he, he's talking about you know uh, reactive versus proactive people and the reactive person always give out about things they can't control with the proactive person's like listen there's no point in trying to give out about things I can't control I'm just going to control the circle of my own influence so that's essentially how we need to kind of look at our own sort of uh, responsibilities within the training profession I suppose yeah and uh, yeah I've been I was I was complaining for years and wasn't doing anything about it, so I just put my fist down and right or wrong, if it, you know, I, I'm not going to judge my system or how it's coached, but uh, I just feel that it's a good process for people to, you know, uh, at least create some kind of indication that they're a coach. Yeah. In terms of um, your training philosophy, if I was to pose the question, what is your training philosophy? How would you answer that? challenging you know uh, question for someone who probably spends you know out of you know my 16 waking hours per day probably 14 hours of it thinking about theory and methodology of fitness um, I think it's uh, principles you know I think uh, um, I really you know stick to the idea of uh, the process of the best training program quote unquote and uh, what that means for someone and uh, obviously then it means meeting pers the person where they're at. Um, and what that also then means is that there's, you know, a million iterations of what that program should look like. And to me, uh, that doesn't become uh, increased static or cause confusion. It makes training just so beautiful because it doesn't allow you then to create some kind of system or template. Um, so I, I love the idea of uh, just meeting people where they're at and then helping them improve based upon where they're at, no matter if you're diseased and diabetic or you're elite. And um, I think that that would be, you know, um, some of the things that if I was to investigate thousands or the tens of thousands of programs that I've written, uh, probably 15,000 or more now, um, that I would say the principles fly off the paper. And I think that the principles are some trailing philosophies that I hold dear. So I would say, to sum it up, that... Um, the you know human nature principles for adaptation and response to adaptation um i think is probably a philosophy of mine yeah i like you saying you know meeting people where they're at because i've spoken to loads of people on this podcast and we were into the into the 60s with regards to episodes now and that's come up a lot of the time even when people talk about mistakes they've made i said it on their podcast too that you know trying to meet people where they're at instead of kind of putting your expectations onto them and it's one thing I definitely learned going through precision nutrition, you know, because I suppose, again, we, we're all on a learning and grow process, but you'd be kind of like, no, no, you can't eat bread, no grains and gluten, and then it's kind of like, hold on, if this person is going from a bag of Skittles in the morning to a, a whole grain sandwich, like, that's 
pretty good you know what i mean so like you're again yeah. meeting them where they're at so this way no no you have to eat these three meals for seven days a week bang go ahead it's just like you're not meeting that person where they're at so it's definitely a key uh, key concept to keep in your training philosophy yeah in terms then of uh it's opex now can you, can you maybe actually explain because i only realized it went from opt to opex only there a couple of days ago when i when i went onto your website again so why the name changed there yeah, so we were um, OPT um, trademark and um, you know a, a, a business in Canada. Uh, so it was the name OPT was in Canada. We came down to the states okay. um, just over three years ago, three and a half, almost four years now, and um, we went to trademark OPT because we wanted to use it down here to increase our uh, our reach in the market based upon what OPT meant, um, which was generally me as a moniker and then into a business. And when we went to create that trademarking, um, we had a uh, a company that was a fitness company within the states that has a that has a OPT training model that, unbeknown to us, were using it for years prior in the states. So they did not have OPT trademarked. Um, so we could have fought for an OPT trademark, but it but for right of first usage, um, they probably would have got uh, the okay to be continue to use OPT. So. We just had to change the name, and uh, uh, we went to uh, OPEX and Optimum, uh, Optimum Experience as opposed to Optimum Performance Training, yeah. uh, which is a good it's a good um, change for our business too because we're at this you know real initial uh, tipping point now in growth where to get to that next you know larger level for a global organization we have to make it you know more broad in terms of the name and the name was largely connected to me and it was largely connected to CrossFit. And uh, by doing OPEX, it certainly opens up the avenues to uh, allowing people to see that we're just a fitness company that coaches coaches and also coaches people online for their journey in fitness. Yeah, because uh, at least performance last year also changed their name. It's kind of similar concept in that they felt it was just too well. One actually, they felt it was too disorganized because they had at least performance and core performance, and they're also the military, so they kind of wanted this one name to you know, yep. be branded under and kind of expand out even bigger to what they are into into Exos. So. Yeah, I, I was thinking it was something to do with you guys moving to Arizona, all right? But because uh, no, I, I like OPT, but OPEX is, is pretty good. Now. I was thinking that the EX meant experience, so it was just just a little side note on that, just kind of filling in the listeners. But regards to your certification, uh, James, the OPEX certification, can you maybe just fill in the listeners uh, exactly what that um, what what exactly is the certification and what it entails? Yeah, so it's a certification uh, program for fitness coaches. Um, so for those who are interested. Um, in becoming a fitness coach, the kind of audience that we're looking for, the coaches that we're looking for, are probably individuals that are just, uh, you know, getting into university or are just getting some interest in, like, um, you know, a couple of years of investigating what strength and conditioning is. And we see our program as kind of like a, for a trades individual, a person who wants to get, like, you know, a year, year and a half kind of a uh, upfront education on how to become a fitness coach. And we have five different areas that I believe philosophically uh, would be would be quite important for people um, to do that. Our five courses, uh, the first one is uh, life coaching, which basically goes through the art of coaching uh, in terms of communication and resonance and bedside manner and basically you know, what your goals are and how to get your mission and vision across and what you want to do and how to communicate with people. Um, and that's the first course. 
the second one is assessment, which is a physical assessment where we look at anthropometrics, we look at movement analysis, and then we find out where people are starting and where they should start in their program um, for exercise. And uh, we do that through various different levels of assessment to figure out where you should start in your program. And then we do some work capacity assessments. And I teach people how to do that so that at the end of that assessment, they get a pretty damn good idea of exactly what the, what the uh, dose response is or the exercise program that you should have. Um, and then, of course, program design, which teaches you what to do when you have that assessment and how to design training programs, which is the third course. Uh, the fourth one is nutrition, uh, where we go through principles that are largely based upon my experience in functional medicine, as well as variety-style uh, stuff of behavior modification relative to nutrition principles, where we teach the coach basically what are really solid practices in assessing and then prescribing uh, nutrition for people uh, based on you know the terrain and what's best for them and best for the individual. And then the last course is business systems, um, and we basically help individuals learn about things like organizations, uh, sales and development, close, closing, um, you know, help them figure out what their core values, mission, vision, and goals and projects are, uh, basically just give them some insight into what major missing link is for people who start strength and conditioning is they love the fitness, but they forget that it's actually a business that they have to uphold. So those five areas, I believe, um, would allow someone to be spit out on the back end, and you combine that with a little bit of experience in the trenches, and you're going to get someone who's going to have some success in fitness, you know. Um, and we're trying to find that unique part of the market that you don't have to spend eight years in university or you don't have to spend, you know, 100A uh, for four years on a guru uh, uh, just based upon their own principles. Um, I basically have squished all that information from my own experiences into five courses and give you a really quick fix approach as to how you can implement this and become a successful coach. In, in terms of those five different areas, could you could you maybe tell us like who was your biggest influence in each one of those? So like when it comes to you said there was nutrition variety. So yeah. in terms of say the lifestyle, who did you learn from there? In terms of the assessments, who who have you taken from there and program design? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd say for life coaching, um, it's been Bernie Novakowski because uh, large part of the the things that we use to help people are. Uh, um, I guess J.G. Bennett as well, you know, a writer on fundamental systematics and higher order thinking. Um, so Bernie Novakowski has been a major influencer for me on that. Um, I would say that for uh, nutrition, it's been my doctors, um, uh, Dr. Jeff Trabot and uh, Dr. Dick Tom, a guy I've been working with for over 15 years now, my own personal doctors, but also, you know, a collection of functional medicine practitioners, folks that are definitely deep into biological medicine. I'm a big, uh, big advocate of basically, you know, not treating the symptoms and basically assessing people where they're at. And then also recognizing that, you know, you connect some ideas on behavior modification with correct nutrition practices and really honor, you know, the digestive system and the immune system and sex hormone physiology, you know, you'll recognize that um, nutrition and what you see on the top end, which is salmon and veggies, has a very small small part to play in overall digestive practices. So I think my doctors in functional medicine have been big influencers for nutrition. Uh, for assessment, I would say not necessarily due to the practices that are within it, but Paul Quinn and uh, Paul Check have had, you know, even if they did not implement specific things within there, those guys really thought, uh, I think, really clearly in a different, you know, because they were vilified 
you know, uh, based upon it, I really like their concepts of how to create assessments. And uh, I basically have not said that exactly those two individuals are perfectly correct, but um, I like their ideas of saying, like, when you do have uh, this person in this area, you have no other option but to give them these exercises based upon that. You know, the atypical thing of, you know, front squat to back squat ratios and percentages or snatch to um, clean and jerk compared to your totals. You know, you look at those percentages and it basically says, well, this is what they need to work on. And I really love that. Um, and so we involved that in the assessment process. So those two guys have been major influence on that. Uh, for program design, I would say Charles Poliquin. You know, Charles, um, as, um, as, you know, people have different views based upon him. And it, it, those are fair views. Uh, one thing that you can't uh, take from Charles, though, is uh, he was honestly, you know, a really uh, a forefather and a magician when it came to reps and sets and uh, and also implementation of correct strength conditioning protocols. Um, you know, arguably, and uh, he should have just stayed in his lane in relation to that, but I think there's no one over the past, since, you know, the mid-90s who, have done, who has really investigated or also practiced, I think, better versions of strength conditioning in reps and sets and what they know about that than him. I think that's a major influencer for me in program design. Um, for 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 conditioning and energy system training, I, I the you know the hundreds of years of effort that endurance uh, philosophers and, and endurance folks have had a big part to play into uh, my concepts on that. Um, simply because they've done it and practiced it a whole lot in terms of work rest ratio and what happens past you know 50, 60, 70 seconds of work and how to kind of investigate that. So I would give you know, one book like uh, Laura Running um, and all the people that are within that in the history of energy uh, training, uh, a, a tip of the hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, with regards to, um, what is that, life coaching, uh, nutrition. Business, uh, business is your last one. And, uh, for, for business systems, um, I would say a combination of Sean Greeley uh, with NPE is also uh, uh, with Bernie Novakowski because fundamental systematics and just having systems in place along with someone who's you know been practiced and honed in the fitness industry like Sean really has been for helping fitness businesses I think those are two major influencers uh, for that great stuff there's a lot of people you named there who I've studied under myself and studied their materials and I, I've, I've taken polyquin courses as well before so I, I think definitely Charles has, has, has good stuff but again like like kind of the Bruce Lee thing you know learn from everyone and take what's useful and disregard yeah. what, what, you, what you don't want um, in, in terms then of the biggest mistakes or the, or the, the sort of biggest things you've learned in your career what, what would they be I think some of the bigger ones would be that uh, um, which I try to teach coaches and I think it's almost normal because you know some coaches don't have answers so they, they hear something and then they can't think for themselves to think how it's going to apply appropriately to the client so they take things as the Bible um, so I think I've made that mistake before where um, I've taken things and really said you know that that totally makes sense simply because I was really you know they injected their values into me based upon that and so it was like oh man that that's the truth like everyone's got to do that um, and not allow myself some patience to pretty much uh, you know say well maybe it's uh, just a tool that I could use appropriately at the right time so I think that's one of the major mistakes that you know, I continually do at a very small, intense levels, but it's important, I think, that uh, to note um, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, Bigfoot. Yeah, Bigfoot. Yeah. Just uh, going back there, just to program design. Um, yeah. Could you maybe tell us your your kind of system of program design? Is it? Do you have a system that you kind of work every everything through, like a sort of a blueprint, if you like, in your head? Or does it always change depending on the individual? I mean, you know, like, so say for instance, the kind of at least performance thing is, you know, they're uh, like FMS corrective strategies and they go into their movement prep and they go into their ply on their ball and their Olympic lifts and strength training and ESD. Just like that's some using that just as a purely hypothetical, yeah. hypothetical example. So just with program design, is there a certain template that you, that you teach people or is there, do you have a few different templates or could you touch on that? Yeah, no, I don't have templates. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll just so it doesn't sound like it's you know I'm I'm going against it. I am not a, necessarily a fan of templates, mm. um, but I understand why they're made. So even within let's say Verstegen's uh, ideas or athletes' performance, I understand why templates are made because it allows the coach to create at least some kind of working system to ensure that you have successful practices. Right. So mm. what you said in you know, FMS, movement prep, exercise, EST, whatever the case may be, I think those are just general principles that people have that are applied in exercise, right? And what you should see in that is that there was an assessment, you got someone ready for exercise, you did something that was a little bit more intensive, and then you did some stuff that was conditioning-based. Well, that's been around for 100 years. So the principles of that, I think, is what my, you know, program design template would be. Um, and that's not, you know, uh, forgetting about just the aspects of like meeting people where they're at and assessing where they need to go and then being able to change it and evolve it relative to what their function is. Because if someone just needs to, you know, get up and down the stairs without getting to 165 beats per minute for a heart rate, as opposed to someone who needs to get to 300 pound snatch, those are two different programs. So you can't have the same kind of, I can't have a system that's going to help both of those people if I'm in the world of fitness. Mm. And just go, going back to the influence of, of Charles Poliquin, have you incorporated any of his program design into the program design of CrossFit um, competitors? Oh, definitely. And one of the things, I think some of the major aspects he's definitely uh, you know, made us recognize is the ability, you know, where structural balance sits within people's application of CrossFit. Because CrossFit would be repetitions, you know, and people, um, I think a ton of people who do it may not have that correct, you know, balance of push and pull or and bends and uh, and Charles really gives great insight into of course what those percentages should be for those athletic lifts but also uh, where they should sit head to toe based upon his own data or his own even concepts of what that should look like in order to prepare people for a hundred chest of bar pull-ups you know and uh, not reach uh, metabolic fatigue and muscle endurance but instead you know just reach metabolic fatigue um, like they should if they have to do a ton of those in a row um, so I think his kind of influence on, you know, tempo work and basically, you know, making the the speed of the effort and the repetition range dictate loading too. I think that's really important. Um, and stick to truth behind progression. I think there's a very loose idea within even CrossFit training of, you know, what people say is, oh, just built to a three. Uh, but that's very loose when it comes down to a black box system and actually seeing if you're getting weaker or stronger. And so what Charles applied is in terms of great, you know, uh, strength conditioning principles, I think would certainly benefit um, that we use definitely within a, a CrossFit protocol. In your opinion, what are the keys to mastering CrossFit for a CrossFit competitor? So, 
I guess was what would be your sort of underlying principles and philosophies like this has to be in CrossFit in a CrossFit program or these things oh man that's a million dollar question there I, I, uh, hence, I back, hence why you're on the show James <laughs> I, I go back well dude I mean, that's a, if we had the answer to that one then I think that uh, everyone would be going to one house to find that right because yeah, yeah. it's a very convoluted system I'd be, asking, so, I'd be asking you for some money so I would if you knew that answer Okay, well, here you go. I think that, uh, you know, if somehow people could figure out how to be more resilient, I think you're going to get the best CrossFitters. Mm. But well, in terms of just, say, the actual sport of CrossFit, like, like you get some coaches saying that, you know, they put big emphasis on Olympic lifts are always in their program. We always do a day of gymnastics. We, you know, uh, like, is there a way to even systematically think about energy systems or because CrossFit is just a, a combination of everything – is that does that even come into the equation? So kind of, I suppose that's kind of where I'm getting at. Like, what do you think are the big rocks? Like, you know, you know, the the, the powerlifting, Olympic lifting, and gymnastic movements have to be in the program at all times. Uh, you know, because even reading some of uh, Jacob, is it Jacob Tripson or kind of his second name? You know, he was saying he he felt he was neglecting like the gymnastics in his CrossFit competitors programs for a while, and he realized that you know that is a big component. So I guess that's where I'm kind of getting at. You know, what kind of big rocks need to be in there to master CrossFit? Well, I mean, I think let's you know, in order to answer the question, I really don't feel there is specific some package on that because let's just say uh, this year um, in the opens and in the regionals and in the games, there's a 5K run. So, what do you think people are gonna? What do you think Jacob's gonna do in the off season uh, based upon that? So every year something comes up that's new and variable and novel which makes it more dramatic and entertaining for the sport and then people have to change so last year based upon the regionals and getting people from the opens to the regionals to the games you know strict gymnastics and muscle endurance was a key component so of course now everyone's going to be going oh my god of course we forgot about uh, legless rope climbs and strict handstand push-ups and so we got to focus on gymnastics as being a big part of it. So what happens in the Opens and Regionals this year, if there's no strict movements and 5K runs every time, yeah, what yeah. do you think everyone's going to be doing? Yeah. You know, CrossFit Endurance is going to have another 100 certs to be sold next year because they're <laughs> going to see that they forgot about running as a part of their training program. So whatever's being tested is a reflection on what's going into it. So CrossFit, meaning if we're attaching to the word that you could get anything, the answer is that you ha- if, in order to be good at CrossFit, you've got to be good at everything. And so, because you don't know what the tests are going to come up. And if you were to say, well, I'm going to pick on, you know, clean and jerk and snatch, most people are just going down that road because they're proficient in teaching it, and it creates a unique sales proposition for them to become coaches to get a spot in the market to improve people within CrossFit. When really, you can see there's a ton of people at the games who can't clean and jerk to save their life. They're just freaking strong. So it's got nothing to do with them being able to clean and jerk and snatch that gets there. They just had the absolute strength that was necessary there to move from the regionals to the games. And we're not even talking about the topic of moving from opens to regionals to games. They're all three different levels. So to get past the opens, you need to be able to move a 75-pound barbell really good with double-unders. To get past the regionals, you need to be able to do legless rope climbs and handstand push-ups. So then you can't say, well, the elite CrossFitters at the games are doing this. Well, you got to remember, well, what did they need to get there? Jason Kalipa didn't need to compete against the 5K run against all of their competitors to get to the games. Otherwise, he wouldn't be there. Neither would Rich Froning. So you got to see that in order to figure out what is going to make the best CrossFitters, you got to work backwards from what the tests are. And we have no idea what the tests are going to be, so you can't hold to one program. 
were doing a regional competition and calling themselves CrossFit coaches because they can, because no one can have a proven system because the tests change all the time. So you can't really figure out exactly what's going to be most effective for that. So no, there's no answer to a system for CrossFit. Yeah, listen, I, I 100% get what you're saying in terms of system. I guess it's, you know, you can never obviously predict what's coming up, but there is predictable things that are always cropping up in some form like there's always some type of olympic lifting and some type of squatting motion and some type of running and some type of kipping pull up and some type of handstand you know even though the metrics around it in terms of work to rest ratios will definitely be different so i guess it's kind of a like listen and people know this from listening to me i'm never about giving black and white answers because there is no black and white answer any of the answers of it's going to be depend on it, it, it or it depends particularly when it, and particularly when it pertains to crossfit because i mean it's such a mismatch of so many different qu- uh, fitness qualities and energy systems but i guess i'm just kind of saying is there any sort of loose type of thing you might say like you know in your mind but i i, I 100% get where you're coming from as well with your answer yeah like so the answer is no you know i mean even the let's take one simple example of uh, Robbie. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Ireland, and I'm not a CrossFitter either, by the way. But I've, I've, I'm not one of these coaches. I'm not one of these coaches that are like, oh, CrossFit's the devil. I'm just like, no. But I'm like, listen, there, there's there's shit gyms out there that aren't CrossFit. There's class yeah. gyms that are out there that are not CrossFit. There's also shit gyms that are CrossFit, and there's also great gyms that are CrossFit. It's just yeah. it's it's the same everywhere. Like, yeah, yeah, it's all fitness. But the point I was going to make is that you know you have. Um, I think, well, you have uh, in, um, geez, what's his name? Um, there was a great Irish uh, cyclist. Anyways. Um, Stephen Kelly or Stephen Roach? Is it? Yeah. And as well, I was also thinking of a Scottish guy. I think he's Scottish or he's part of the... the, the oh, Chris, Chris, Chris Hoy. Chris Hoy. Chris Hoy. I mean, if you want to think about sprint cycling... You know, if you were to look at, you know, how strong they need to be and what kind of training they do, you could also see that Arno Tarrant or there's other, you know, sprint cyclists that don't do any weight training almost all year. They just focus on different aspects of it. That's only for like a, you know, 30 to 40 second maximal sprint on a cycling track that they'll do two or three, four times in practice or three to four times in a training session to win a medal. And there's even three or four iterations to how to train people for that. And that's just one fucking skill of being on a bike. Mm, So you can imagine that when it comes to CrossFit and trying to learn 65 different things and then not having a clue what's going to come up, the only answer is that you've got to be good at everything the best you can. That's the only way that you can kind of manufacture. So I agree with you that there are some levels, but it's all based upon what you're going to get to because the open contains, you know, average to 12 minutes of multiple different, you know, sub-maximal aerobic capacity efforts, and then you have maximal strength and a gymnastic density and some kind of high-threshold shit and something long at the regionals. Mm. But the entry to get to regionals has different characteristics. So you can see it's just a freaking... One of my coaches made a great, you know, uh, analogy of it. It's like having a street hockey tournament to qualify people for a roller hockey tournament to qualify people for an ice hockey event. It actually makes, you know, no sense in terms of the characteristics of how they all apply. So how do you train people for that? You just got to be good at everything. Yeah, no, listen, I 100% agree again. I, like, uh, I suppose, though, like, w- one sort of thing that's popping to my head there is you, you're, I suppose you're trying to also maybe look at things that have the greatest carryover to things, you know. So obviously, like, getting stronger, you know, in kind of like a, the, the sort of classic lifts, 
w- does have a huge carryover to kind of other aspects within it, but like it is, it's just purely random though, anyway. So <laughs> yeah, but it actually doesn't. I could argue every point. So 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 what happens if you improve your back squat from three fifteen to three forty five in pounds from you know over a period of sixteen months prior to the open? But there's no maximal back squat in the open, and you also can't prove that that increase in absolute strength because I've proven it is going to make you a better open person because it's largely dependent upon how you perform at submaximal squatting efforts. Yeah, so but you would, you, would you not? Would you not? Would, would you not think that by bringing your maximum squat up that your submaximal? So if you were to go in and do a fran, that that might carry over. No, it doesn't. I can prove it to be true. Go on. I've, I've proven it numerous times to be true that your absolute strength can, can, can go up, but your submaximal ability may not go up. Mm, okay. All right. I, I would, I, I would I, like, uh, by proven, how do you mean? Like, how have you proven that? That people's, people's maximal lifts, a deadlift, a front squat, a back squat, a snatch and clean and jerk can go up, but submaximal efforts at 80, 90% of the same movement for repetition and sequence of that movement, even within metabolic conditioning efforts that are repeatable and valid, did not go up. Okay. Well, listen, that, that's what you've seen. Yeah, I, I personally would Dude, not I've seen, seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. If you see people improve their absolute strength and their friend goes up, it just means they're a rookie. It means yeah. they're just improving natural phenomenon of just improving physical activity, but... The absolute strength improvement is not the cause of getting better at Fran. Oh, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that to you. Like, there's, like, I mean, yeah. your, your strength goes up, but like, obviously, you still have to develop aerobic uh, enzymatic activities in the muscles to be able to utilize more aerobic, you know, aerobic energy. So, like, obviously, by just getting your strength up, that's not necessarily going to carry over to continuous work that's going to have a large, a large component of aerobic capacity. But which is what I was just saying. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say what I'm explaining here, but if if your maximum strength did go up and you concurrently your aerobic capacity increased, so like if you use like the strength aerobic method from Joel Jameson, would that not carry over into something then like your Fran or, or a repeated effort? It would have a it would definitely have a, a bit more of a play, yes. But we're also got to consider. So yes, the answer is if the aerobic capacity, the aerobic system did improve alongside your absolute strength. There also has to be the specific neuromuscular training of the submaximal effort in that movement. Yeah, well, sorry. Well, then th- that's kind of what I'm getting at because what, I, what I'm saying is that in CrossFit, the fact that they're always doing that type of work, and if they got stronger, surely they would carry over. That's kind of what I was getting at because they're kind of getting yeah. that work anyway. Yeah, for sure. But I need to make it very clear because people think that you can get, just get stronger and get better at submaximal percentages of those loads, and you can't. No, like you, to me, you know, if if you got stronger, your max. This is what I'm saying. If if I got stronger, I would be. I would say that generally, your sub. Like if you just did a, like your generally, like your six or eight RM would gen would generally go up, but not. I wouldn't say that if my one RM went up, and I had to do like five squats on the minute every minute for thirty minutes or something, that that would improve. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we're gonna be just going back and forth on agreeing to disagree because. As that absolute strength improves, there has to be training, like you said, of the submaximal efforts in order to improve that new RM underneath it. And this is the most, the reason why this is a very interesting thing that strength and conditioning doesn't necessarily understand when it carries over to CrossFit is that there's numerous factors that change in relation to 
you know, people attaching to, well, I can make you stronger and it's going to make you a better CrossFitter. And I got a problem with that because I've seen it to be true numerous times that it's not necessarily the case, even to the point where we tested a back squat 1RM and then percentages of that back squat 1RM for an AMRAP set, and people have got the same score. So that 6 to 8RM actually didn't change, even though their absolute strength did go up. So there's different kinds of fibers that happen in different folks in relation to the application of the aerobic system and also glycolysis and how much you train that, that has effect on the submaximal system. So it's still very, it's not that, it's not that black and white where if your strength goes up, these submaximal scores are going to increase. I think we're both agreeing that there's many other factors that play a role in improving that submaximal effort. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting because I've often thought about that too. Because I'm always thinking that like a one RM is purely alactic, but then like my eight RM is obviously going to be tapping into some you know glycolysis. So I was always thinking, I always do think that to myself. It's like, how is that one RM carrying over to an eight RM? I'm just saying that most people I train, but then again, a lot of people I train aren't elite, so that's probably because that's why I'm seeing I'm seeing more carry over. That obviously when like their one RM goes up, they're they're lifting more at like sub maximum levels. Like I'm talking about five, six, and sevens and eights. But I, I would not be on, and, and I know that you're saying you disagree with that, and, and what you're saying I think is very, very true. And it's, I, I wouldn't sit here and, and actually purely say that you're wrong. I wouldn't do that at all. It actually brings up stuff I've questioned myself. But I would, I'm, we're in a total agreement in that if you brought up your one or, or if you brought up your one arm squat, and then you were going into like a timed thing with squats in it, I wouldn't, I would not say that that would carry over like all of a sudden. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's so interesting that you know we see that. It just makes us recognize that there's so many other factors that have a part to play when you get beyond like one or two repetitions in how people respond to fatigue. There's just, there's just, there's just so much shit we don't know what's going on in the body. Anyway, like, like uh, when everyone gets into a big fucking piss fight about energy systems, I'm always like, guys, like in about 20 years' time, some physiologist is going to come out and say that there's a fourth and fifth energy system that we didn't know about. Yeah. And like, we'll be like, oh, right, uh, that, that makes all our arguments null and void. <laughs> uh-huh. yep. So in, in terms of, of resources, James, what would be your top resources for coaches in terms of anything? Though, and it doesn't have to be just training. It could be you know life, nutrition, whatever. And the resource could be anything, books, DVDs, courses, individuals, whatever. Um, like as a, what I would say is a recommendation for individuals? Yeah, like your top recommendation. So, you know, most people say what are your top three books, but like it doesn't just have to uh, be limited to books. Yeah, I think that, uh, um, I think it depends upon where you are, Rob, in your coaching career. Because when, you know, in terms of mastery for coaching, they, you know, coaches go through this process of, you know, trying to discover themselves as a person along the same time of being in a very, you know, scientific realm. So I guess if you're a beginner coach or you're just starting the coaching process, you know, you're probably digging into trying to figure out answers on, you know, the intricacies of the conjugate method and, you know, specific mathematical equations and, you know, specific physiology of energy system training and, um, you know, anatomy and functional anatomy texts, you know, and then also you're then next you're starting to learn a little bit about more about yourself you know for communication and what the purpose is of all this shit and how it kind of applies to everything and then you start practicing more and more so then you're probably going to be getting into you know readings on long-term development within that includes like business books and life coaching books and self-development nutrition stuff and you know on big picture items and then as I guess the further along you go you're reading books on you know philosophy and you're reading books on you know, big picture 
you know, biographies of people and their experiences in sport and sport development in multiple different areas. So I think that, you know, resources for coaches are different relative to where they are on the continuum of their career for coaching. Um, and I think they, you know, as a, as a rule of thumb, what the, what the, what the person may want to look at either a coach or athlete is to say, where am I currently, you know, going and how important is those resources that I'm looking at is going to direct me towards my aim. And whatever that you know short-term aim is, then keep going after that. If it's you know reading you know manuals of protein uh, by Lehman and all of his research, then go for it. You know, dig into that for a couple of weeks. You'll learn a whole ton of shit that's important. Whereas for me today, that's not that important because it's based upon you know the whole big picture and how all things work together for me today. So my resources are largely based upon you know uh, big philosophical pieces on long-term development for folks and also big picture stuff on why we're all here and what's the purpose behind everything yeah yeah well then just maybe for the younger coaches in terms of let's say a training book what would be your top training book yeah i think that uh for a young coach um you know if i was just to look on my shelf of ones that really influenced me i think uh gray cooks uh, uh some one of one or two of his books would give you some cool theories i guess you could say um, a whole other side note would not necessarily to get in and to think that the FMS is a Bible, but, you know, in terms of uh, metabolic versus mechanical structural stuff, I think some theory on that is a great idea. So maybe Body and Balance um, by Gray Cook. I think Mel Siff's uh, book, uh, Super Training, if you were to sit down and really, like, sit back and, and take some time on the shitter every time and go through a chapter um, would be a great idea for folks. I think The Laura Running. Uh, Tim Noakes puts together a great volume on all these different concepts of fatigue and endurance training. Um, I think any of Poliquin's, you know, the arms race or program design and reps and sets would be a great starting point for people. Um, I think that Zatz URC and Kramer um, and their, uh, you know, manuals on uh, strength training would be, you know, I think it's called Principles of Strength Training. Uh, Practice practice and Science of Strength Training. Practice and Science of Strength Training, thank you. Uh, that would be a great one as well. Um, yeah, so, you know, that would be five right there just to answer the question, a good starting point yeah. for those guys. Uh, last two questions, James. Just with nutrition, you, you seem to be someone who's very, and I'm big time into functional medicine. I've done a few functional medicine courses in nutrition. So, and you're probably probably similar to me that, you know, like you just, it, with nutrition, it's like anything. It, it depends. It, you know, it's, it, we're, all, we're all so unique at a bio, biochemical level that, the, you know, there just is no one nutritional protocol. Like, again, everybody just wants this magic bullet. And every, and as we said, everything wants everybody wants everything black and white, which we just know isn't the case. But with nutrition, what would you say would be some fundamental things that you, that you abide by in terms of nutrition? Yeah, I think that uh, I, I, I think about things that are affected to the organism. So I kind of uh, go back to the equation of, you know, meeting people where they're at. So if we're asking the question like, what's your philosophy, James, on nutrition? Well, uh, I think about things like it depends upon where the person is and what their function is. If their function is to, you know, at 16 years of age to get up and have fairly good energy and not fall asleep in class and then perform really well uh, at lacrosse on the weekends and while they're traveling, then their nutrition is different for that person as opposed to a 52-year-old executive male whose kids just left home and uh, they just want to globalize uh, their business, and they're traveling to Hong Kong and L.A. and New York and, and uh, Europe back and forth at least once a month, you know, that's a different nutrition protocol for that person. So I think about the big picture things like, you know, we are what we digest as opposed to, you know, we are what we eat because I go down to the 
know, level of digestion and that whole process of honoring food hygiene and the, you know, the terrain, basically, as to what the person is starting with, with their stress levels and the absorption of nutrients and also uh, how they, you know, put their foods together and what's going to be best for them relative to their temperature and cortisol DHEA ratios throughout the day. Um, and look at those kind of things to say, what is the best practices for you? Maybe you don't need to eat till noon. Maybe you need to cook your vegetables for the rest of the day. Maybe you need to eat raw food for a couple of days. Maybe you need to do juice fasts, you know, three days every month. Maybe you need to do cleanses, you know, once every solstice. Um, you know, I, I basically just look at it and say, how am I going to meet the person where they're at? And then go down to the deep levels to understand how they're going to digest that food effectively to give them the best uh, production of energy as possible in relation to what they want to do, whether that be, you know, be a CrossFitter or lose some fat. That's great stuff. Finally then, James, in terms of uh, advice to anyone listening to this, what, what would be your advice? <laughs> in, in terms of anything now, anything, again, it could be training advice, lifestyle advice. I know it's a, a kind of a big topic again, but... I used to, I used to always say what would be your advice to young coaches, but then I'm like I've got like yeah. I've got I've got all I've got all types of coaches listening to this who aren't young. So, yeah. so. I'd say wake the fuck up. <laughs> what like the Buddha? That's what like, Buddha means. Buddha people means. Are, so many people are walking around dead. No, they don't. They're following mantras. They can't think for themselves. Yeah, um, they're following that. booklets. They think that something's viable. They're being influenced by multiple different biases. They're not asking enough questions to themselves. They're not taking time to be creative and thinking for themselves. They're not making their own decisions. You know, people are, you know, folks just, the coaches and everyone needs to be, needs to increase conscious awareness. So if I was to make one statement on, you know, what I think people should do more of, I think they need to wake the fuck up, like open their eyes and kind of really think about what's happening to themselves, everyone around them, and uh, basically start to apply those things to ensure that, uh, going forward they have the right direction in terms of what they want to do to create fulfillment yeah so kind of you know take take responsibility for what they create moment to moment and self-reliance yeah yeah big time yeah yeah i'd be a big or a ralph Waldo emerson fan so i always love his writings i always feel like you know it's, it's always like when i'm reading them i'm like yes i could have written this it's exactly how i feel don't be a fucking conformist <laughs> i love that shit yeah so and, it's not, and it's not necessarily uh you know, a right or wrong thing, but I think it feeds into a whole different, uh, you know, n numerous possibilities for people when they think that way. Could, could you give, like, any practical tips to maybe some listeners? Because I know, like, it's not, I'm very similar to yourself, and it's kind of funny, now, even the guy that disagreement we had about the squatting, I'm kind of like, geez, he probably thinks now, like, I'm, like, dogmatic and locked into it. Now, you get stronger, your submax strength goes up, it's a fact. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, as if I'm, like, indoctrinated with this belief, and I'm, like, like, I'm not at all, like, because I've, I've had the same thought process going, like, well, why does... Why does that go up, or and, and sometimes why doesn't it go up? You know, should it go up in energy systems? Because I am like that. I'm always like I don't take anything as gospel, or I like to think that I don't. Like I was saying to Greg Everett yesterday, the only dogmatic belief I have is not to be dogmatic about anything. Because <laughs> there's just so much shit we don't understand. People yeah. get into, like about the energy system again. People get into these pissing arguments. I'm like, we don't know. Like we haven't even scratched the surface of the stuff. We don't even know what's going on. Like. So, uh, but would you have any sort of practical tips maybe on, on that? I know like uh, you probably study a lot of the subconscious mind and indoctrination and people being victims of their culture and stuff like the same stuff I involves into like, and 
you know, exactly, people just need to wake up. It's funny, I, I listen to Alan Watts, and Watts has this talk where he says, I used to have a, I used to have a man who used to give us a class, and Watts, I can't do his voice, his voice is unreal though. He's like, we used to have this man who gives us a class, and he'd come out on stage, and he'd just stare at us for like five minutes, and everybody would start to get real awkward, and then he'd say, wake up, you're all asleep, and if you don't wake up, I shall leave. And I, I, I always love that story Alan Watts talks about, it's brilliant, but yeah. I 100% agree though. But sorry, anyway, I'm rambling here. Would you maybe oh. have anything practical like to listeners? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, you know, the, the, the beauty of communication with another person can certainly uh, make us realize numerous concepts based upon that awareness. Um, yeah. So I think two different practices. I think daily practices of people spending time alone um, and being unplugged. Um, so getting out in nature is a really grounding effort for individuals to create that conscious awareness. And for those who, even on listening to that, think that it's like petty or unusual or uh, have a problem with it, you really need to go out alone. And um, I think it's something that, you know, some of my uh, brethren in, I say brethren in terms of coaching them, but some military guys that I've worked with but not been a part of, you know, they really have some great perspective on that of carrying a pack, you know, for six to eight hours along with a 60-pound gun, um, you know, for hours and hours on end alone. You know, I think that that kind of stuff alone um, and those kind of journeys and walkabouts are really important for people that are practical that they could um, observe and listen to what's going on with the bullshit in their head and then think about how they're observing that and how they're judging it. Mm. Um, and this is not like 10 minutes walk. I'm talking hours at a time for a nice hike alone, unplugged based on that. Second thing, I think in communication with people, when you're having a communication with another individual, after you're finished that communication process, have a debrief. So what that allows you to do is to sit down and just think about what just happened in that communication I had with that person yeah. and allows you to go through a third eye effort of viewing the noticing of what you were noticing. So it allows you to say, like, how did I react to the conversation? How did I feel when they said something that created an emotional stir in myself? How, you know, what kind of communication practices did I use that created any kind of influence in terms of that? I think that that kind of stuff of play of the third eye in relation to what's happening in communication with other people creates real, you know, uh, great practical opportunity for folks to, to become a little bit more aware and conscious. So those would be two practical things folks can start to play with. Uh, do you do any meditative practice, James? Yeah, my meditation happens through those walks, but also through exercise. I do a lot of you know, open-eyed or active meditation, I like to call it. Yeah, same um, way, uh, and meditation unto itself, if you go back to the knowledge of it and what, you know, true yogis have used in terms of meditation, it's basically creating the best kind of connection that you can to your body. Mm. And when you practice physical potential stuff and training like I have for so long, my training sessions are my meditative practice. Yeah, well, it's funny, I say the same thing, walks and training are my meditation. I, I personally like to train on my own. Do you, do you like that or do you like to be in a group? Yeah, no, I like to do it on my own. I mean, I, 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 there are times where I do like, you know, pounding fists and, you know, uh, back squatting with someone in the same rack or, you know, doing a workout against someone in the odd, in the odd day. But I, I would be happy as a pig and shit up in a mountain with, you know, $15,000 uh, worth of legit equipment and uh, a thousand square foot of space and I never saw anyone ever. You know, I'd be in heaven. <laughs> I love pig shit as well. Yeah. Yeah, you sound you sound like uh, you sound like you you don't like people, kind of like me. <laughs> uh, no, not that I don't like people. I'm I'm very uh, very much an extrovert when it comes.
comes to educating people. So when I stand up in front of a room of 100 or 1,000 people, I get highly uh, passionate about giving them a message based on what I think is beneficial for them going forward in the teaching. But when it comes down to my own you know, internal struggles and my own internal uh, you know, journey, uh, I'm very much a, a recluse and, a, and an introvert and a, and a, and, um, a social you know, loser. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm exactly the same in that I'm unbelievably introverted socially. Like, I much prefer to stay in and read and just train. And But when it comes to teaching, I have, like, I absolutely love speaking to groups. Like, I, you know, because apparently, like, my sister was saying that the number one fear people have is public speaking. I'm like, I love public speaking. It's actually, it's I fucking love it. I have no issue getting in front of a group. Yeah, so it's very f- funny. We're, seems to be a, a bit of a, a kindred sort of spiritual thing between the two of us and some in regards to lots of things here but uh, listen James that was absolutely brilliant any closing comments for the listeners uh, no um, just, uh, just about that awareness piece and um, I just hope that you know folks are listening in that you know from here forward because you're the Miana really Robbie of uh, basically pushing this information out there that uh, folks think for themselves and then use what they find is appropriate relative to the person or themselves going forward and, um, you know, put a smile on the face. You know, it's funny because you, you, you probably, I don't know, you've listened to any of my podcasts before, but the amount of times on, on previous episodes that I said, think for yourself, like people must have heard me say that a million times at this stage. I'm always set preaching that think for yourself, be your own person, have enough courage to come to your own conclusions. Yeah. So, uh, but James, where can people find out more about you just real quickly? Yeah, opexfit.com. That's pretty simple. Yeah, there you go, guys. So, Coach James Fitzgerald, thanks so much for coming on. Just maybe hang on line for like 20 extra seconds while I wrap up the show. I also that to people at the end so I can say my goodbyes to you off air. But, guys, what a great what a great show. You know, make sure you go to Opex and check out all James' stuff. I've only heard great things about a certification from the guys in Ireland that have taken it. Uh, Kieran Hagerty and Joey O'Shaughnessy, two coaches here in Dublin that have taken it. I only have great things to say about it. So, Guys, thanks a million. Keep supporting the podcast. Go to upmentorship.com and help support the podcast. Keep downloading and leaving reviews on iTunes. So take care, stay strong, and I'll talk to you soon.